This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey. Welcome back into the Lions 247 podcast. I am Tyler Donahue. Just a moment, my colleagues Daniel uh, Gallant and Mark Brennan will join us. They were both out in Bloomington, Indiana, watching Penn State uh, really put a beat down on the Hoosiers, held them to fewer than 200 total yards in the day, six touchdowns for the Nittany Lions, uh, six touchdowns accounted for in some way or the other by freshman Nittany Lions and a 45-14 victory. As a result, Penn State in the AP poll goes from number 16 to number 14. Uh, a couple of losses in October against teams that are situated in the top three right now in those national rankings in Michigan and Ohio State. We'll get our next look at the college football playoff rankings uh, coming out on Tuesday evening, but Penn State on the rise once again. We'll see what lies ahead. But on the rise to, to open November uh, are the Nittany Lions, Mark Brennan and Daniel Gallon. And Mark, when we heard from you last year on the podcast on Thursday, there was a lot of questioning about the motivation for this squad coming off the loss and coming off those two losses in 15 days, where their head would be, where their attitude would, would be. And we got quite the answer on Saturday afternoon, as you witnessed yourself. Yeah, one of the things I said in the preseason when we were doing our season predictions is that a real key for this team was going to be its resiliency or lack thereof. Uh, you know, what we saw the last two years was when Penn State lost a game, it allowed that that loss to, to kind of to, 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 to steamroll and, and lead to another and another and another. I, I don't think anybody was naive enough to think that this Penn State team was going to go undefeated, especially with that gauntlet that it faced in October. And when the losses came to the teams that most people expected them to lose to, they bounced back with gusto both times. You know, they blew out uh, Minnesota, and then they go to Indiana and blow out Indiana. Now, obviously, those aren't two great programs. But, you know, we saw last year this Penn State team lose to a, a bad Illinois team. Last year, Illinois is better this year. Uh, but lose to a bad Illinois team in nine overtimes. So, yeah, I, I think it's – people may be underestimating the value of that. Okay. Penn state still is not in position to be competing for a big 10 title or a college football playoff bid. It's just not there. It was getting close before the pandemic. And I think it's getting back to that level. Now, now the key is to close out with these three wins that you're supposed to win. And you're probably going to get a new year, six bowl game. And then you're firmly back to where you were. And I think that at least sets you up to get to that elite level that James Franklin was talking about multiple years ago. You can see it there if you're watching on our YouTube channel. Uh, the, the headliner here, Katron Allen, with those three touchdowns. He's got eight on the season. So does Nick Singleton. As we cover on the postgame podcast, that matches Noah Kane's all-time record for Nittany Lions rushing touchdowns by a freshman with eight of them on the year. He did that in 2019, did Kane. Katron caught a touchdown against Ohio State, so he's got nine on the season 
And Daniel, when you look at this running back tandem and, and you kind of, again, remembering that they're going to be able to do this in a Nittany Lions uniform through 2024 and you kind of let your imagination run wild. But in the next three games, they really have an opportunity to kind of redefine what this Penn State team is in 2022 and what this Penn State team is in everybody's mind as they try to envision next year's kickoff. Definitely. I, I think that you're going to see a, a heavy dose of both Nick Singleton and, and Katron Allen uh, over the final course of this year. I mean, you look at how Penn State won uh, at Indiana on Saturday, and they just did a really good job of kind of controlling the game, of letting Katron Allen and Nick Singleton pick up those that chunk yardage. Um, we've seen Nick Singleton really develop into a good between-the-tackles runner. Um, over these past couple of weeks. I mean, he's definitely willing to get in there. And kind of like what Jaywan Sider said, the way that he plays is that even if it looks like it's a one-yard game, he can get it to four. He can get four to six, um, you know, six to nine. Uh, Katron Allen is very similar um, with how he runs in between the tackles. So I think Penn State is in a really good job, really good position to assert itself as a very ground-heavy team uh, over – over the, these last three games, I think that Nick Singleton and Katron Allen, kind of like James Franklin has said, they're not freshmen anymore um, at this point. I think that they've both proved that they can be two of the better backs in the Big Ten. And I think that they're both making starting to make some waves um, on the national stage. And I just think that the stat that both of them have tied the freshman uh, record for rushing touchdowns uh, in Penn State history. I mean, I think coming into the year, I think that yeah, we thought that we were, were going to get some production from both, but I don't think we we've got we expected to see this much. Obviously, some of that is circumstantial with how the depth has played out at that position, but it's also a testament to how both of these players came in, how ready they were, and I think that they're two of the more interesting uh, pieces going down the stretch as you kind of try to project Penn State forward uh, over these next few years. I think when Mark was gathering his predictions from us in the summer or whenever it was, um, I remember predicting that that Singleton would would break that record, but I thought maybe it happened in a bowl game. Maybe it happened against Michigan State, yep. not on the first Saturday of November, when, oh, by the way, another freshman running back did the same thing. And let's really quickly sprint to the offensive line with this conversation, because it's not just those two guys revolutionizing the way that football is played here in Happy Valley you got to give a lot of credit to now what is what consisted of eight, nine, ten offensive linemen as part of this process in Big Ten conference play. Mark, what did you make of what Penn State needed to do on Saturday up front and ultimately what they produced over the span of those four quarters? Well, I was joking with Daniel in the press box that we should put out a tweet saying freshman Drew starting for and meaning Drew Shelton, not Drew Allen. Out there for yeah. SEO, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, I, I would have phrased it a little bit more smoothly. Uh, than that. But uh, listen, I thought those backup offensive linemen were the unsung heroes of that game. You know, everybody wants to talk about Clifford having a back, a bounce back game and the two freshman running backs who were both tremendous. I mean, obviously, Catron was, I mean, he's just the, the physical running that, that he's doing has just been really impressive, especially given the weight he lost. But, you know, I think before the season, if you would have told us they would be at this point down three starters including Olu, who was projected as uh, Olu Fashionu, who was projecting as a top 10 NFL draft pick. I mean, I think we all would have thought they were in trouble no matter who they played. And to see, you know, an old an old head like uh, Efner come in and get it done. 
you know, Norzad was playing all year, so that's not really surprising. But, you know, Drew Shelton, we had heard before the season that he was the most technically sound fre- true freshman offensive lineman that they've had under Franklin. And that's all fine and dandy, but you also need a little bit of size. And I think he's starting to get a little bit bigger. But if you looked at him out there, I mean, he looks relatively small. He's a guy who still has plenty of room to grow. I think the way all those guys played, but especially Shelton, he had one holding penalty, but overall to, to blocks that well for the running game and for the passing game on a day when the wind was so crazy that you really had to be able to rely on the running game at certain times. I just thought for all the criticism that that old line has taken over the past few years and rightfully so, because it did not live up to expectations. I think now we're starting to see it exceed expectations. I thought it played well against Ohio state overall. It certainly was not the reason they lost to number two. That was not the reason they lost to Ohio state. And then to come out in this game, when you're again, you're down three starters. It, to me, I, I, you just can't say enough positive things about the job that unit did and a job Phil Troutwine did getting that unit ready to go on a bad weather day. And then JB Nelson played a ton yes. of football. I mean, he he's a guy who was working on the left side. Norzad's out there the first possession, and you're raising a red flag early on in Bloomington. You're wondering if the wheels are going to come off for this front line. He steps in, and then he's kind of the guy right there in the middle. You watch the replay of that sack that they got on Clifford early on, and he's the one who looks a little confused, out of sorts. And to their credit, they stabilized it. He's needed on the right side. Salim Wormley you know, didn't put together another complete game after doing so against Ohio State. It makes a lot of sense. James Franklin you know, has acknowledged that he's dealing with bumps and bruises like a few other guys in this offensive front, but not just as Hunter Norzad. And, and is it Bryce Effner proving to be these utility pieces off the bench? And now those guys are, are, are starters here as we are entering the final stretch of the season because that's what things have dictated. But you're also having J.B. Nelson playing a ton of football and Drew Shelton. And, you know, it feels like Vega Ioane is one snap away from from throwing his hat in that kind of ring to to his credit. And he's a guy who you always wondered if this would be able to be the case. Juice Scruggs has been an Ironman at that center position. So that hasn't really thrown another wrench in there. But, Daniel, I I think we, we wondered about tackle. I don't think you want to see it really go any deeper than this, what you've got right now because of where the position is. But on the interior particularly, we had a feeling it might be in a good spot. And this is where I note again, and I've said it a couple times this season, everybody is eligible to come back and play football for Penn State in 2023. Anytime you're one play into a game and you're already down, you're, you're starting the starting left side of your offensive line from week one. Um, you know, thing, things can get pretty dicey, but Penn State didn't let it. Um, James Franklin talked about it a little bit. Um, in the post game, in terms of building that depth on the offensive line. Um, I think he might have been talking a little bit more big picture with it, too. But that was something that he talks about in the preseason, that if we want to do this, build this depth, um, we actually have to commit to this. Um, I think that was a topic of conversation last year when you think about those big leads that Penn State got out to in the non-conference and kind of the, all right, when are the backups coming in? When are the backups coming in? Um, and this year, it seemed like that there that he said there was going to be an emphasis on that. And then for the most part, it felt like Penn State followed through um, on that. And I think that you're seeing the 
the benefits of that uh, here where you have guys like JB Nelson um, who are in there. You have Hunter Norzad being able to switch between left guard and right guard, um, even though he's a little bit banged up. Uh, Bryce Hefner is able to go in uh, and, and be a steady presence on the right side. And then you have a freshman, Drew Shelton, who has not played that much football uh, coming into this weekend because Penn State was doing a was trying to save his red shirt. Um, but he came in and he just looked like he knew what he was doing. Didn't seem phased. It still is really early in his development. I think that he's someone who at times when we would see him over the summer, um, he looked almost like a big tight end uh, with, with kind of how thin he was, but he's built back up uh, and it's going to be really interesting to see this trajectory. Um, I do think that getting this red shirt um, season is important for him. James Franklin has said that both about Shelton and Nelson in terms of their development. But I think the fact that Shelton was able to come in, play left tackle in the Big Ten, albeit against an Indiana team that hasn't done too much this year, I think is a major credit to Shelton, to Phil Troutwine, and how this offensive line has been able to, to develop. Can I play He's devil's further... advocate? Can I play devil's advocate? I was waiting though? for it. Because yeah, you know, I, I, I said it before. I mean, why do you want to redshirt him? I mean, <laughs> what are we seeing with Olu, right? I mean, you, you, you're you finally playing him, and you're going to get nine or ten games out of the guy before he goes to the NFL. If he's really that far superior in terms of his technical talent, are you really going to – is he really going to be around five years from now? Knock on wood that he's going to stay healthy because I think that's the only way that guy's going to be around for five years. And I, I almost think as if – I almost think they have to, 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 to reconfigure the way that they're approaching these situations with the offensive linemen. I mean, even last year with Rasheed Walker, I mean, that's a guy who probably could have used another year and decided not to take it. I think once these guys are in for four years, and again, if if we're hearing in the preseason that this guy is has a chance to be an elite offensive lineman, I just think you look at what's going on with Olu Fashinu, and he's a guy who redshirted as a, as a true freshman, which he should have done because he was only 17 years old. He was banged up a little bit last year but came on and, start, and starts in a bowl game. And then he goes from first-year starter to first-round draft pick. So I just think, listen, have him ready to play, get him snaps the rest of – even if Olu comes back, so that he's that far more along, that he has that much more game experience. So that's me playing devil's advocate, Daniel. I'm happy to hear your mm -hmm. rebuttal. I, I think Olu – I was texting with Tyler about this last night. I think that Olu is just such an outlier um, in terms of this rise that he's had. And kind of like what you said. He should have redshirted as a 17-year-old freshman. And then there's extenuating circumstances where he was banged up last year. You know, James Franklin has said that uh, in November, we probably would have seen him before the bowl game. Um, and then I don't think, I mean, I guess if we go back, if we went back to August, and if I, I talked with Phil Troutwine for a while uh, in August at Media Day, he had a lot of good things to say about Olu. I mean, maybe if I go back in the time machine and I say, hey, is Olu a first round draft pick? I'm not I don't know what he would have said, but I think that he might have been. I don't know if we would have gotten a, a yes on that. Well, he probably doesn't um, want him to. He probably doesn't <laughs> want people saying he's going to be a first round draft pick. Yeah, because they, they want to get him back. But I, th I just think as a as a point of reference, I for you know how to manage an offensive lineman, how to look at development. Um, I think that Olu is just going to go down as such an outlier um, at that position, and I think that his trajectory has had some extenuating circumstances with 
with his injury, you know, if we had been able to see him um, down the stretch uh, last year, it, the conversation is probably a little, a little bit different about only getting X games out of him. But I mean, yeah, I mean, if they think that Drew Shelton is, is bound for the NFL as a, you know, after his fourth year, whether that would be as a true senior or a redshirt junior, um, even if he does it after three years, um, you know, if you, if you can peg that coming in, you know, you are right. I mean, I think that the more reps you can get them, the better. Um, but obviously every player is created a little bit differently and there's going to be a different trajectory, but it will get interesting as we go forward. And this is probably an off season conversation with, we've talked about, like Tyler said, all these guys have eligibility left. Um, there's a lot of guys on the interior. There's a mm-hmm. lot of guys coming in next year. Uh, it's going to be pretty interesting to watch. Can I say how important the success of, of these guys, just Drew Shelton and, and the early returns on, on Vanga and what he's doing on the inside and what we've seen from Landon Tengwall when he's played. This is no disrespect to, to that 2020 recruiting class, but what we know about it so far is that Olu Fashinu might be a one-and-done starter off to the NFL, off to make a bunch of money, which is fantastic. But in terms of uh, getting a bunch season by season, it's not a ton. But the other guys, Nick Dawkins, uh, Ibrahim Traore, Jimmy Christ, there's some injuries to consider in that mix. Uh, There's just guys that haven't really had the opportunity to get out there and play. But the fact is they haven't really pounded their way up the depth chart to this point. It's year three for that group. And then you factor up the the offensive line class that followed them. It was a small class in 2021. You had Landon Tengwall. I don't think any of us were surprised to see him rise to a starting role as a redshirt freshman. His future is very bright. He's got to get healthy. Nate Bruce, though, was the other guy that they signed in that class, and he decided to walk away from from this situation pretty quickly. So you look at those two uh, collective recruiting classes on the offensive line and what they've done since then, you know, looking at Lackawanna again. uh, But this this these young talents, it's really important to note what what they've been able to do. The Ivy League, they've tapped into that again. Some supplemental pieces that have worked out well for them. And to this point, Phil Troutwine. Uh, if, if, if that seat was feeling hot in, in late August, it certainly has cooled off quite a bit uh, as we work our way into November. Uh, we are almost 20 minutes into an episode that follows a Penn State game, and we haven't talked about Sean Clifford, Mark Brennan. So that's probably a good thing for number 14 because we spent a lot of time bouncing his name around along with Drew Allers last week. He is now less than 20 passing yards shy of the all-time mark uh, at Penn State to, to surpass Trace McSorley. Broke the touchdowns record a, a couple weeks ago. Sean Clifford, you called it a bounce back performance. Um, I wasn't out there, so I don't couldn't really feel the win. But they certainly didn't lean on Sean Clifford in this match. They didn't need to. Uh, Fifteen of twenty-three, two hundred twenty-nine yards, uh, an, an egregious interception early on in the game. It turned out to, to be his only turnover of this matchup. Uh, you know, it wasn't. He didn't light him up, uh, but. He played careful with the ball. It was a cleaner game, made some good throws, and and ultimately came away with the win. Uh, but we got to see Drew Aller, and I think at the end of the day, that was the most important thing for a lot of people. They were able to kind of scratch that itch a bit and see him play well at the end. But I want to start with Clifford with you, Mark. Yeah, I mean, I, I think he that's what you need from Sean Clifford. He doesn't need to be the guy who's going to win the game for you because that's not who he is. And I don't mean that disrespectfully. He has enough weapons around him. And we've started to see it these last couple of weeks offensively that if he just gets the ball to them, and then they're going to make things happen. And I, I thought Franklin made a really good point after the game. And it's something that I know I've, I've been missing, and I don't think everybody's been missing it, but I think we're so focused in on the passes he hits or doesn't hit 
that at least for me, I have not been paying as much attention at the decisions he's making at the line of scrimmage when he's checking to a run, when he's checking to a pass. And I have to believe he's far ahead of Aller in that department simply because he's played so much football and he's seen so much. That's not a knock on Drew Aller. It's just that's something that comes with experience. And I think as you navigate this end of the season, as you're trying to get to 10 wins again, and you're trying to get to that New Year's Six Bowl game, a lot of people were like, hey, you have nothing to play for. Get the freshmen in there. I disagree. I mean, I, I go back to what I said earlier. I think it's important for them to get back to where they were pre-pandemic, to that one step below the Ohio States of the world. Not even with them yet, and we know they're not even with them yet, but to get to that spot. And I think at this point, Clifford gives you that best opportunity because of that decision-making. Now, what I would say is I was a little surprised out there that they didn't go to Drew Aller a little bit earlier, maybe uh, earlier in the third quarter when it was still relatively not, you know, you you knew Penn State was going to win. The game seemed in hand. I mean, it it looked like that game could have gone on for 15 more quarters. And if the starters would have played, uh, I'm sorry, uh, Indiana, not Illinois, that Indiana wasn't going to score. But I that's what I would like to see from this point going forward. You know, get him a series in the second quarter. Get him a series early in the third quarter. Get him used to playing against those against the, those first team players. Because Franklin said it after the game. You look at those stats, and yeah, it looked like Drew Aller played much better. But he wasn't playing against the he wasn't playing against all the ones for Indiana. He was playing with backups against backups, and actually, he was playing with some of the Penn State starters who were still in there just because of injuries uh, against against backups. So. I, I think we see how they've decided to go with this. I was on record as saying I would have started Aller against Minnesota to ideally give you the best chance to beat Ohio State. You could agree with that. You could disagree with that. But once they made this decision and we see how Clifford bounced back, I think that's the way that they're going to go about it the rest of the year, barring injury. And again, knock on wood that nobody gets banged up. Daniel, you did write uh, after the game uh, on Lines247.com about some of that uh, commentary from Sean Clifford a guy that does his best, I think, to stay away from the noise, but it's impossible to ignore it. And he certainly was well aware of the interest and maybe seeing a different quarterback there in his place leading up to kickoff. Um, ultimately, he didn't step away from that quarterback role until the game was out of hand. Um, so I think that sent a message. And James Franklin, again, uh, I think trying to set the stage here, maybe not trying, but it, it, he's done a good job of making sure uh, maybe one pass away from not doing it, where Sean Clifford's probably going to on his first or second completion Saturday afternoon in, in front of a big crowd in Beaver Stadium, uh, set that all-time record. I'd imagine they're going to take some time to acknowledge it, and I'd imagine it would be an opportunity for uh, some fan base. I'm sure Frank would like to see a redemptive moment, perhaps, after what we saw in October. Uh, make of that what you will. I know there's plenty of people who still want to see Drowler take the first snap from here going forward. Uh, but that's what the scenario is set up for, for this to be uh, a Sean Clifford kind of appreciation moment. And then they got to play football. They got to beat Maryland. And, and you still want to find that balance. But it's, again, Sean Clifford teetering from that brink uh, to, to kind of be more solidly at the head of the line here with the offense. And, and as they try to navigate through these three games, get to those 10 wins. And, and we got to touch on Theo Johnson here guy whose stat line should have looked better. A 33-yard touchdown reception was within his grasp. Could have made Sean Clifford's stat line look better as well. But in the last three games since Daniel Gallen wrote his story about Theo Johnson needing more touches, Theo Johnson has 11 catches for 175 yards. He's got a couple touchdowns during that span. 
Everything else the rest of the season before that, two catches for 19 yards. And the interesting thing is it has come at the expense of bit, it would seem, of Brent Strange in the production. Only uh, I think he's fewer than 60 total receiving yards the last four weeks for Strange. He had a huge catch against Ohio State. He's had some – or against uh, – uh, last week against Indiana, he's had some big blocks along the way. But Theo Johnson really starting to establish himself as a guy who – uh, is getting it done in the passing game, has that ability to pick up the yards. And Mark, to Mike Yersich's credit and to Sean Clifford's credit for finding him, they're scheming him up in space, and he's exploiting that. Yeah, I mean, clearly everybody read Daniel's piece and, and, and knew exactly what, what they needed to do. But I, you know what? I, I don't think it matters which tight end you're getting the production from. I think it matters that you're getting production from the tight ends. And mm-hmm. don't forget, Strange had a big – well, I mean, you know, I don't know that how – I don't know if the game was was going to change if Strange didn't make that great helmet type catch type thing, but he's you still know that you have him there if you need him. Uh, so it, it's almost like you know I, I was watching the Kansas City Chiefs last night, and you know when it wasn't cutting in and out of Xfinity, but they made a the, the, Collinsworth made a really good point on the, on a telecast is that sometimes when you have somebody who's as good as Kelsey and I'm not suggesting Strange is that good but Strange was playing really well they could be as much of a decoy and then start opening things up for other players and I think there may be some of that going on but regardless I think whichever tight end is getting it done I think it's important that they've reincorporated them into the game into the game plan because we saw it wasn't just strange that wasn't getting thrown to against uh minnesota and michigan it was all of the tight ends the targets were way way down and they come out of that and then start targeting them again and then you you have those weapons and you might as well use them one thing i would say about theo johnson i'd like to see him block better i mean as big as he is uh i think he could be a more effective weapon as a blocker uh, I think Strange right now is the better blocker of the two. Tyler Warren's probably the best blocker of them all. We see him in there specifically to block at certain times. But that's where I would like to see Theo Johnson take that next step because I think both of those guys, uh, Strange and Theo Johnson, both have NFL capability. We've heard that Tyler – they think Tyler Warren does too. We just haven't seen that much. I wonder if he's still a little bit banged up. But getting production from the tight ends overall has been important. And I think that's helped open things up for some of the other receivers. I mean, you see Parker Washington have a, a, a big game uh, against Ohio State, and then you see Tinsley do some good things last week. So I, I think it's, it's all kind of complimentary. Unfortunately, guys, we haven't seen much of Tyler Warren the last few weeks. I know early on in this season, really going back to I think the first or second week, was dealing with some things uh, from a physical standpoint, a little maybe some limitations there. Uh, he has not cracked 20 snaps in, in a while now. i got to go back to the Michigan matchup. Um, very limited against Indiana. That actually meant more run for Khalil Dinkins as more of a tight end three. And I think Dinkins has looked pretty good out there when we've seen him get some, some opportunity. He's a guy I'm very curious about because I think he entered here in year two. You wondered, is this going to be someone who sticks at tight end? Is this a long-term thing? Or is this maybe spring ball going to be his last shot at tight end? Or is this preseason camp going to be his last stab at tight end? And he has sunk his teeth into it. I think they really like what he's brought to that room early on when he got to campus. You look at him, it's the end about as a linebacker down the road. You watch the high school film, you could kind of imagine a lot depending on what you wanted to do schematically at the college level. Um, So I think uh, it's been good to see Dinkins getting some work over the course of the season. Unfortunately, right now at the expense of Tyler Warren, who who may not have been available at full capacity. But uh, just something to note there in the tight end room, it's been a lot of Theo Johnson. It's been a lot of Brenton Strange. Not very much Tyler Warren here in the past month, and and we thought this might be a three-headed monster. 
unfortunately that happens sometimes. And um, guys, let's quickly look at the defense. And Mark, you made your bold prediction about these edge rushers stepping up. Uh, I don't think they quite met what you predicted in, in the four combined sacks between Adiza Isaac and Chop Robinson, but it was a really strong day and the best this pass rush has looked uh, since they played Auburn. Again, with the caveat that this Hoosier squad was working with second, third, and fourth string quarterbacks and fired their offensive line coach a few weeks ago. Chop was robbed of at least a part of a sack in that game, so I, I'm gonna I'm gonna put that out there. I also, but in all seriousness, I think it wasn't just that they produced, but when they produced. Uh, Clifford has the turnover. Indiana picks up a first down, and then the pass rush in general just goes nuts on on Indiana. And you know they were down, I think, at the 19 yard line or, or somewhere around there. I don't have my notes right in front of me, but they were down there, you know, almost sure to get a score and, and to go ahead in that game. And uh, you know the, the crowd probably would have gone nuts. I'm joking. There was only like 15,000 people there, but. Uh, I think that the timing of when they stepped up, it just really set a tone for the rest of the game. They knocked them back. They ended up having to punt. And you never got the sense the rest of the way. So to, to come in and do that against that kind of opponent. Now, listen, didn't we almost see similar stuff against uh, Auburn where the pass rush was better? Why? Because the quarterbacks were terrible. You could really unleash, and you knew they weren't going to really hurt you. And that was the case in this game again. But, hey, you have to walk before you can run. And to, 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 to do that heading into a game against a Maryland team that has a much more talented quarterback I think is important because if we've seen one thing, if Penn State has trouble, uh, it's with quarterbacks who, are, who can be very efficient in games. You know, so uh, it, it that to, to, to get that on tape, to show that you can get after the quarterback, I think is big going into the Maryland game. We'll be right back on the Lions 24-7 podcast. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Maryland, by the way, we'll, we'll talk about them in a bit, but they surrendered five sacks against Wisconsin and their loss this past That was Saturday. unique, though. That was unique for them. They've been good most of the year, and then I don't know if it was the weather or what. I haven't seen that game, but that was Dan Daniel's got some. Daniel's got some perspective coming up for us in just a moment on Penn State's next opponent. But uh, another name I wanted to get to, to here, and we have some, some basketball conversation to close out the podcast in a bit because they tip off their season uh, this evening on a Monday. But Daniel, Kobe King uh, ended up playing extended snaps. We saw Tyler Elston come to the sideline a couple different situations uh, for Penn State. He's been the starter for each of these first nine games at middle linebacker. Kobe King, the Richards uh, freshman, the next man up there. What did you make of his performance? Because I know you gave one of your game balls to him or at least gave him a shout out in, in that review. I was really impressed with Kobe King. Um, <clears throat> I think when you talk about 
him and Elsden at that middle linebacker spot. Uh, one of the areas that, that we've seen them struggle at times this year is sideline to sideline uh, when it, when a team is trying to stretch Penn State horizontally. Um, and Indiana was doing a lot of that um, on, on Saturday. And Kobe King was able to, to be in the mix uh, on a lot of those tackles. Um, you know, he was where he needed to be. I think that was a really good performance from him. Um, you know, going into the season, it felt like one of those situations when you hear, yeah, we're going to go with Elsden, but Kobe King is going to play a lot. Um, it seemed like that the stage was set almost for, you know, week four, week five, maybe when Big Ten play comes around, uh, you get to the point where you let Kobe King do enough to win that job, you know, take that job. Credit to Tyler Elsden for doing enough and being the guy um, there in the middle. But I think that it was kind of surprising that we didn't we weren't seeing as much Kobe King as, as we maybe uh, expected to. So to see him come in in that kind of situation where he's not the starter, um, you know, he's he hasn't been the guy there. And for him to come in, be the leading tackler with eight, I think two and a half tackles for loss, uh, just be around the ball. I think that was a really solid performance from him. I think the defensive line helped a lot. Um, I was talking to him after the game about, you know, watching the defensive ends finally get to the quarterback, watching those uh, defensive tackles get some push, guys like Devon Elise and Kaziah Izzard getting sacks. Uh, and he said that it just made their job so much easier um, there at the, at the second level. So I'm very curious to see you know, what this means for him moving forward. Um, I think that when you talk about a young player, like a redshirt freshman who but I think that was his 13th game of his career before last year, nine this year. Um, you know, this could be maybe some sort of springboard for him, or this is that that solid game that you have under your belt in Big Ten play. Obviously, you have to adjust for the opponent a little bit with Indiana. Um, but I think to see Kobe King step in um, as a backup, excel, um, I think that's something that he can build off of as, as we go through the, these final three games of the season. Before we leave the linebacker room, I just want to say, I don't know if I remember a walk-on player making such a early push to put himself on scholarship as Don DeLuca has done, which says a lot because year one with Penn State, he was still recovering from a knee injury that he suffered as a senior high school player. And so last year was a bit of a wash in that department for his progress. And here we are, he's playing 20 plus snaps. And I mean, this is part of, partly because you're playing Indiana. There's a lot of run to be had late in the game. But he had the rush on the on the play that leads to deny Dennis Sutton's interception. He had a fumble recovery on special teams on, on a moment where Parker Washington maybe opened the door there for some Indiana momentum. Um, he keeps popping up at, at the right moments. And for a, a redshirt freshman walk-on player, Don DeLuca, I thought, a guy that we talked a lot about in August and, and kept trying to say, yeah, he's probably the next guy there at Sam. Like, we're not kidding. He's going to be there. He has really kept himself around as this linebacker room has evolved. His snaps have dwindled at times, but he keeps popping up. And I just wanted to make sure we mentioned his presence on the field this past Saturday as well. Mark, anything else to throw out there about this matchup that stood out? You, I know you had your report card. You had your top takeaways piece. Uh, we're going to flip things toward Maryland uh, later on in the week when you rejoin us. But uh, anything to look back on Saturday that we failed to mention thus far in this episode? Yeah, I was surprised that Abdul Carter didn't didn't start. I mean, they went back to Jonathan Sutherland and uh, you know at the at the Sam and uh, had Curtis Jacobs at the will. You know, I think I I understand why they were doing that because they were probably expecting you know heavier passing numbers from from that team. But I I, I don't know. I mean, I, I think 
at this point, when you look at what what uh, Sutherland is capable of doing out there, and you look at what Abdul Carter is ta- is capable of doing, I think I, I'd be more willing to live with Abdul Carter's mistakes, knowing the sort of upside that he has and how much it's going to help him. Uh, thought it was difficult for them when Curtis Jacobs got banged up. It wasn't necessarily difficult in that particular game, but they're they really it's they they need Curtis Jacobs back for Maryland. Hopefully, again, I keep knocking on wood. Uh, that he is that he's able to come back and play because I think, you know, the Jacobs, you know, Elsden King, whichever one that is, because I think those guys were starting to see that they're maybe a little bit more even than the snaps uh, have indicated. And then Carter, I think I think you need Carter on the field. I just think you need Carter on the field. And then uh, going back to Dom DeLuca, you know, one of the reasons he was out there, I think, was because uh, Jacobs was banged up and it, it, it affect the way they were kind of rotating things. But you know, I have to tell you that that fumble recovery on the punt, you know, that is something that I will guarantee you they put on tape and show the entire team because you go back and look at that and he he could have that was at a point where there was really nothing that he him hustling back was going to help that play other than if Washington fumbled. And the pure hustle by that kid, you know, Fighting for playing time, fighting to, to get a scholarship, that, that's what it's all about. You know, you go in. That may not have made a huge difference in that game, but those are the plays that win games for you in tight games to have somebody hustling back when it looks like the play's over and just bolting down the field. His, his other jobs were done. You know, he blocked. He did what he could do. Now just go back and, 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 and – be ready in case something happens and something happened and he was there to take advantage of it. So as well as he played on defense, that really, I looked at that and I'm like, this is a great example for a team that, that struggled in a couple of tough losses to keep grinding and keep grinding and keep grinding. And guess what? Good things are going to happen for you. Just like it happened for him. Yeah, because of what you had to do shuffling that linebacker group a little bit, um, despite not starting, Abdul Carter still ends up playing more snaps than anybody aside from Kobe King, who who played a ton on Saturday. So th- this is an area of the of the field that we'll be watching closely when we get back out to practice on Wednesday. Before then, we'll have the press conference with James Franklin. Uh, Got to ask about the health of a couple starting linebackers there. Tyler Elsden, uh, Curtis Jacobs, we all know full well James Franklin, how he's going to handle a lot of those questions. But we're at the point in the season now where the attrition is adding up, the injuries start to stack up a little bit. And that's where a lot of the interest lies when we get in these Tuesday press conferences. And that's without even throwing in the fact that Olu Fashionu, their rising NFL draft prospect, very much uncertain right now coming off of his absence at Indiana. All right, a lot to look ahead to for football, another game week with Maryland. And before we turn the page to basketball, we've got a Maryland alum on the show. So we're going to tap into this. And Daniel said uh, Maryland did its own fan base a favor and handling business in its own way against the, the Badgers last week. Set the stage here a little bit for us. Maryland comes in 6-3. and three. They were number 28 going into their last matchup, maybe ready to set the stage for a top 25 showdown at Beaver Stadium. Alas, the loss. Yeah, I was, I was being a little glib uh, in the press box at Indiana, but you know, you've got some familiarity with your alma mater and there, there's always a interesting relationship there with, you know, the, you know, talking to friends from college and kind of being a little bit more in tune. But I was just thinking about, you know, you look at that game, you know, they're six and two going to face a team with, with an interim coach, um, a team that has rebounded under its interim coach was, which isn't always a guarantee, but they had the chance to win 
you know, move into the top 25, which they likely would have done uh, to set the stage uh, for Penn's for Penn state. And just made me think of, you know, you think about 2019 uh, Maryland gets off to that hot start. Um, and then Penn state comes down on a Friday night uh, to Maryland stadium at that point and demolishes them. I remembered when I was in college, uh, my senior year, Maryland started four and oh, got into the top 25 for the first time in a couple years. Um, and then went to Florida state and lost 63 to nothing. Uh, in the the Jameis Winston national championship year. I mean, that's kind of the the consistency. That lack of consistency uh, is what has kind of kept Maryland in, I guess, the third tier um, of the Big Ten East. If you know, if Penn State is on that second tier um, below Ohio State, um, but you know, this time they you know didn't get the hopes up uh, even more. They they didn't get to the ranked part before the bottom dropped out. But in terms of looking at highlights from that game and looking at the box score, I mean just seemed like such a, a weird, weird game. Uh, you look at Graham Mertz, 5 of 18 for 77 yards uh, in a winning effort. Um, what a Mertz stat line that is. <laughs> yeah, for Kim Jarrett and um, Corey Dykes, uh, the uh, Maryland's top uh, pass catchers combined for two catches for seven yards. Dante Demas, one catch for seven yards. Uh, Tunga Vailoa had, had 77 passing yards as well. Uh, just a really weird one. Um, but Wisconsin got it on the ground. Got it going on the ground, which if you spin things forward to Penn State, could be a lot of Nick Singleton, a lot of Katron Allen. Um, and we know that this is a dangerous team. I mean, at times, you know, the last time they're at Beaver Stadium, uh, that game was a no contest. Uh, it was more lopsided than the 35-19 final score showed. So it's going to be interesting to see what version uh, you get um, coming in on Saturday. Uh, Talia Tungavailo has been banged up at times this year. Um, and that's always kind of been the the crux of the issue in terms of the inconsistency trying to make that leap is that the depth at a program like Maryland isn't at the point like it is at a Penn State at an Ohio State um, where you can kind of weather some of these injuries. You have enough guys around that that can really lift things. But I mean, it's a fun group of playmakers. Um, I'm very curious to see what Manny Diaz has uh, up his sleeve. Uh, it's another opportunity for that secondary um, to to showcase itself. You know, Joey Porter Jr., Kalen King. Uh, when you look across the way at Jacob Copeland, Dante Dimas, or Kim Jarrett, um, I think that it's going to be it's going to be interesting. Um, but I think you look at Penn State as a twelve. I think it was a twelve point favorite right now. Um, I think that that feels uh, about right. Yeah, Caesar Sportsbook as of noon today, uh, ten and a half point favorite okay. um, and uh, fifty seven point is the over under for this matchup. And, and by the way, um, Maryland lost 23 to 10 last Saturday. They did not score a touchdown until the final minute of that matchup against four and four Wisconsin. And uh, of course you mentioned what happened last time uh, Maryland came to town. There were a lot of, it felt like different rock bottoms during the 2020 season. It's hard to pinpoint just one, but that game getting away from them off the tracks here in Beaver stadium, empty Beaver stadium, that certainly stands out as one of those low points, and this would be an opportunity to distance themselves a bit from that in a series that they own the all-time record against Maryland, 41-1 and or I'm sorry, 41-3 and one. All right, guys, basketball season tips off Monday. I know you guys have been both looking forward to it. I know people have been looking, uh, enjoying the coverage at Lions247.com. We're going to try to focus in on it as much as we can here on the podcast. A little bit more difficult as football season continues, but we're able to tap into you guys as you'll both be covering the team. And Daniel, beginning with you here, 
This is a squad uh, that we talked about before. Year two under Micah Shrewsbury. The recruiting is getting going. You were there at Media Day a couple weeks back. You can hear those positive vibes. Let's start here. What's the biggest prove-it factor about this Penn State basketball team? I think the biggest thing that they need to prove is how they can integrate all of these new faces uh, in, into the lineup before Big Ten play, which starts a month from today with Michigan State coming to the Bryce Jordan Center on I think what I think is a Wednesday night. Um, Penn State added eight players, uh, three from the transfer portal, um, five-man freshman class. Obviously, the, this sort of transience and turnover is kind of the norm now uh, in college basketball and college football with the transfer portal. But it is interesting to see um, how is Penn State going to be able to integrate um, all of these players because you have five returners, um, four of them really saw minutes last year. Caleb Dorsey didn't play much. Dalian Johnson got into the lineup later in the year. So you returned three guys who pretty much played in every game last year. Um, so there are kind of, and, and you lost John Hara. Um, you, you can't really overstate that loss from leadership and a toughness factor. So I think the biggest thing that they need to prove is how can they integrate these new players in? I think that it helps that it's year two in the system, uh, which Micah Shrewsbury talked a lot about where, and they have their whole staff returning. So instead of Micah Shrewsbury having to teach the assistants who then teach the players, everyone can just teach the players. And then you have guys like Jalen Pickett, Seth Lundy, Miles Dredd, who are back for their second year under Shrewsbury, and they can help uh, teach things. And I think that there's just more of a comfort level. Um, they, they didn't have to spend a lot of time kind of building a framework. The framework is already there. So now they're putting players into it. Uh, and I think that that should accelerate that process. But I am interested to see, you know, who is making the push for playing time. How does a guy like Andrew Funk fit in? Um, you know, can Kebajai get into the starting lineup as a freshman? What does Jamil Brown bring uh, as a guard who I think has some two-way capabilities? What can Evan Mahaffey do? Someone that we've heard a lot about. So there's a lot of intrigue here. And I think it's going to be fun over this first month in the non-conference slate to see how Penn State mixes and matches things who emerges, and how things look different in a month when Michigan State comes to town. Mark, there's a couple of seasons here you're coming off of for Penn State where you're having different voices of leadership. You're trying to adjust to that. The, the locker room's going through its own kind of turnover. What is the stability from last year to this year? Daniel referenced the staff, the guys who have stuck around. You're adding these new pieces, of course, but what does that stability do for your expectations of what they can achieve? Yeah, I mean, the, the, the entire staff is back intact. Uh, I, I think it, it was almost amazing, and, and I don't know if you agree with this, Daniel, but this team somehow went 14 and 17 last year. And if anybody would have predicted that uh, when Jim Ferry didn't get the job, when Shrewsbury was hired and everybody immediately entered the transfer portal, hmm. uh, obviously Seth Lundy came out of the, you know, took himself out of the transfer portal. But to bring in the pieces they brought in last year with no freshman recruiting class last year, remember. Uh, I mean, how are you going to recruit true freshmen when you're getting in here at, what was it, March or whatever, whenever it was? Um, so I thought it was kind of amazing that they did what they did. But being able to bring back uh, Pickett, who played really well for them last year, you know, Miles Dredd, he was banged up, but he's been a good leader for them. And then Seth Lundy's been up and down all over the place, but he's a good all-around player. To, to have those three guys back, I think, really helps with the continuity because they were in the program for a year under Shrewsbury. 
and they could set the tone and, and they know what to expect. I thought last year, the way that John Hara adjusted, I thought that rubbed off on everybody else. You know, he was clearly their best player. You know, maybe physically he shouldn't have been. Maybe Seth Lundy should have been a better player. And I, I'm probably not b- being fair to pick it because by the end of the year, he was he was their best player. But I mean, from game one to the final game of the season, I thought Hara w- was was their best player. And I think for him to buy in, that helped. That was really big. And Shrewsbury talked about that over and over again. So to me, the key now, it, is, it isn't a buy-in because you get the sense that, that, that they've, they've got that. And you get the sense that that's going to be something that coaches have to be able to do year after year after year. I think the bigger thing is going to be how do you go about replacing John Hara? I mean, in Keba Jai, you have a guy with an NBA body and NBA skills. And in Meech Lilly, you have a guy who's 6'10 and 260-ish, Daniel. I don't know. I mean, maybe even more than that. So these guys have Big Ten bodies. But you only have eight games until you get into the Big Ten. I don't think they can mess around. Now, I, you know, I predicted that Jai would start. I'm not positive about that. It wouldn't surprise me if they threw Dorsey out there as a guy who's been around. And, you know, uh, Shrewsbury was talking him up as, a, as, as somebody who was really rebounding well in the offseason on a European tour. Uh, so it wouldn't surprise me. But I think those two kids, especially Jai, because they are going to need him in the Big Ten. Uh, they, they have to know what, what, what he is about and to whatever extent Lily, they could get him, you know, whatever playing time, you're just going to need those guys, not just offensively, but defensively against some of the guys that, that you're going to run into in the big 10. When you're facing a seven, four center at Purdue, I mean, with all due respect to Caleb Dorsey, that's a tall ask for a six, 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 seven guy. So you're going to need these two young bigs to, to, to get it done. And again, with the Big Ten starting now with those two games in early December, there's no time to mess around. And, you know, they have Butler. Uh, they have Furman, who's a, who was a good team last year. I mean, they have a, they have a representative schedule. They, they, they're going to face somebody decent in the tournament that they're in. So they have good. But regardless of the non-con, I just think getting those bigs ready for the Big Ten season is, is imperative early on. Kebajai is starting to get the Olu Fashionu treatment where when he got here over the summer, he was only 17, uh, didn't turn 18 until the first day of classes this year. Um, so I think that he is definitely someone that I think when you talk about making that leap, kind of similar to, to offensive linemen coming from high school to college with these big men, there's a select few who are very blessed to be able to do that right away. Um, and it seems like Kebajai might be trending uh, in that direction based on the work that he's done since he signed, how he's changed. And I definitely agree with Mark that what you get out of those big men, especially Jai, uh, is really going to determine what you can do in this Big Ten slate. Yeah, one quick other it. point. One, yeah. one quick other point, uh, Tyler. I, I think if my mind isn't spinning too far out of control, Daniel, that uh, they're are they doing the signing day thing? Is it this week or next week that they're doing the – Wednesday. Yeah, it's Wednesday. So yeah, we're we're trying to cover so many different bases. So they're doing a uh, a signing day a thing where the assistant coaches and Brian Snow will will let us know what they're the the, the kids who are signing for the next class are all about. But when they okay. did that last year, and it was a really cool thing, you know, the film that we saw of Kebajai was not the Kebajai 
that I saw when I went and watched their open scrimmage or that we saw at media day or that, that Daniel saw at practice earlier. I mean, th- he was 6'10", 215 at that time. I, I think it, going into his junior year of, of high school, uh, he, he was closer to 200. This is a 240-pound man right now. I mean, in athletic. I mean, I'm just telling you people, it, in, it's going to be tough because tonight's game, we're taping, we're recording this on Monday. Uh, so the first two games are a Big Ten Plus, and you may not be able to see it. But the first time this team is on TV, make sure you either get, make sure you get in front of a TV and watch it because this guy has an NBA body and an NBA athleticism and NBA skill sets. Does that mean he's going to be an NBA player? You know what? Mike Watkins had a lot of those things and things didn't work out for him for different reasons. I think this kid's head is on his shoulders a little bit better at this point, just overall. And that's not a knockout. Mike, he went through a lot of things in his personal life. Uh, but people are going to look at him and there is a wow factor when you see him. And does that mean he's going to be great right off the bat? No, there's, he's probably going to have to develop a little bit. But I, you are going to see him in that NBA one day. I don't know when, but but sooner or later, if he stays healthy, I think you're going to see him at that next level. All right, so clearly the focus with the freshman fixated on the front court. Daniel, the transfer class, though, has got some intrigue there, especially on the perimeter. Can you go through what they can expect and maybe high ceiling, what it could do for them if they get a little bit more than what the expectations are? The two names to know uh, in the backcourt from the portal are Cam Winter from Drexel um, and Andrew Funk from Bucknell. Both of them were incredibly accomplished players uh, on in that mid-major level. They were both all-league selections. I think Cam Winter was a postseason tournament MVP one year for Drexel. Um, they're two guys that have a lot of experience, have some skills, but I'm really excited to see how Andrew Funk uh, fits in. Um, I covered him when he was in high school at, at Archbishop Wood. Um, his junior year, uh, Wood won the uh, Philadelphia Catholic League, and that was with Funk playing in sort of a, a sixth-man role um, off the bench behind a starting lineup that had Colin Gillespie um, in it. And, and seeing Funk in that role, he was able to come off the bench and kind of be instant offense. Uh, the next year, uh, after Gillespie went to Villanova, Funk was the man, and he was just able to, to fill it up, score a ton, and that's what we saw from him at at, Villa, at Bucknell. He averaged 17.5 points uh, per game last year, uh, shot 36% on three-pointers while taking 7.5 per game, uh, which tied for the 40th most uh, nationally in Division One. So he was asked to do a lot, and I think a lot of the thought process with him is that you know when he's on the court, you know Jalen Pickett will probably be out there. Seth Lundy will probably be out there. Miles um, Dredd might also be out there. One of those forwards uh, might also be out there too down low. So there's going to be less of a focus on Andrew Funk. Um, I think that he might take fewer shots than he did at Bucknell, but I think that he's going to get a lot more open looks. And so it could be one of those things where you see maybe the the raw numbers go down, but the efficiency goes up uh, and increases because the looks are better. He's not getting the best shot from the opposing defense every night and that he's able to do a little bit more. Now, he is making the leap from the Patriot League to the Big Ten. Um, it's going to be a little bit different, um, you know, different types of bodies guarding him. When You know, when you get maybe if he's coming off the bench and he's going against a second unit from Michigan or Ohio State, uh, you know, that quality of athlete is still going to be really high. So I am interested to see how he adjusts, but I think Funk is a player who has the capability to really 
unlock something and really give them a dimension that Penn State didn't have last year. Uh, they were not really, they didn't really lean on the three-pointer that much. I think when Dalian Johnson entered the starting lineup, he was kind of the the main guy as an outside shooter. Um, but I think this year they're going to have that capability. And I think it could make them into a more high-scoring team and uh, you know more of an entertaining team. Uh, you know, Micah Shrewsbury likes to talk about gritty, not pretty. Um, and I think that this year we could see a little bit more pretty basketball uh, based on what they have and, and what they're trying to do. All right, guys, we're down to just our last couple of minutes here. So I'll throw it out there. Uh, this team tips off against Winthrop tonight at 7 at the BJC. I know you guys will be uh, anxious to see what they look like against an opposing team. You've seen some scrimmage action. What is your, I guess, I don't want to throw a prediction out there because it's tough when you're forecasting 30-plus games. But, Mark, starting with you, how do you see the season playing out as you forecast it here in early November? Yeah, I mean, I think a fair way to look at it is, you know, how the team did in the Big Ten last year. And, uh, you know, I, I am looking at how, what was their record last year in the Big Ten? Seven? Uh, seven and 13. Yeah, seven and, seven and 13. So that's that. that is the uh, I'm surprised they won seven games last year, to, to tell you the truth. I just I just am. Uh, you know, I think they're a team that that could get up to that 10, 11 type win area, which gets you you know, squarely in the middle of the pack and in the discussion for an NCAA tournament bid. So, uh, again, a lot has to do. I think they're going to be fine on the perimeter. I think they're going to be fine. I think Dredd was banged up. I think he's going to be better. With respect to Funk, you know, they haven't had that quick release, Daniel, in more. It wasn't just last year. It's been a long time. I mean, you know, Shep Garner was a good three-point shooter. Uh, Sesums was a good percentage three-point shooters shooter. Miles Dredd has been a decent three-point shooter, but those guys don't have a quick trigger. I mean, this guy gets it off very quickly, so I think that's going to be big. So, again, I think a lot of it's going to going to depend on how those big those young bigs are able to come along quickly in the season. But I definitely look at this as a, a team that has the opportunity to get to double-figure wins in the Big Ten, and that gets you in that area where you have an opportunity to get to the NCAA tournament. I think Pickett is is poised for a big year. I mean, he came in last year, struggled in his first handful of games. I think he, he didn't reach double figures in his first three or four games. And then he was only held below doubles for the last, you know, two or three times the rest of the season. So I think to have that sort of player who has the capability to be an all Big Ten player, he was a preseason all Big Ten player, just a good, well rounded person and a player, a, 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 a team leader. I think the tools are there. I think overall they have better talent overall than they did last year but the one spot i keep going back to it hara what did he do for you can these guys come even close to to, to getting what he was able to get you all right daniel we're down to i'm um, sorry just a minute or so for your answer so sorry, uh, daniel. give us your thoughts <laughs> no i think that they can get up i think a big thing this year is i think that i want to see penn state get out of the bottom four of the big ten when Big Ten tournament time comes in March, they should not be playing Wednesday night. And I think that they can do that. I think that they can get up into that, you know, eight, nine, ten range. And if you're there, you're in the conversation to be in the in the NCAA tournament. Uh, Patrick Stevens over at the Washington Post, who's a great bracketologist, uh, that uh, was a colleague of mine back at Maryland. Uh, he had nine Big Ten teams making the NCAA tournament in projections he released today. Uh, Penn State was not one of those. But that just shows that the Big Ten is going to have a lot of bids. If you can make things happen, um, you know, in the Big Ten, you're going to get that look uh, for the tournament. So I think that Penn State will be 
firmly on the bubble. I don't know if they get in, but I think that they're going to be playing basketball in late March, whether it's the NIT um, or, um, you know, the NCAA tournament last year, based on what they had, they were such an old team that playing in, you know, one of the pay tournaments didn't really make sense for them. Might be a little bit different this year, um, but I think one way or another, they're going to be playing in late March. All right, it's time for that blend of football and basketball. It's November on a college campus. We've got you covered at lines247.com. We'll, we'll ha- have as many of these conversations as make sense here on the podcast. We're back with another episode coming out of James Franklin's press conference on Tuesday. Mark, myself, and Daniel will all be in attendance at, at that press conference. And we got some recruiting talk coming your way here on the podcast a little bit later in the week. And, of course, our thoughts, previews, predictions on Maryland. Uh, take a look at the site uh, for a 30% off VIP deal, $1 for one month to check things out, gaining the crunch time for the 2023 recruiting cycle. And it is certainly crunch time for this Penn State regular season in football. Fellas, always appreciate it. Mark Brennan, Daniel Down, they do a great job. I'm Tyler Donahue. This has been the Lions 24-7 Podcast.